This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. People find a form of consolation in a wide array of things, but sometimes those things are inappropriate and damaging. Gary Disher exposes the idiosyncratic conduct of certain folk in country Australia, which can actually lead to murder. In his latest work, Consolation. So, Gary, welcome back to 3CR. Thanks, David. Now, this is the second in a series with Constable Paul Hirschhausen, a rural cop in a town between Adelaide and the Flinders Ranges. So I'm just wondering about the challenges of that sort of maintaining that continuity. Um, Actually, it's the third one. Uh, The first one was Bitterwash Road, which came out in 2013. And I had thought it was a a standalone, but the character wouldn't leave me alone. So he appeared again last year in Peace and now for a third time in Consolation. But um, what I'm doing really with those books is I'm going home because it's uh, wheat and wool country halfway between Adelaide and Flinders Ranges where I grew up. So every few books, I like to go back there. And there is so much that seems to be happening in these country towns. But as with your previous work piece, the tension escalates rather than confronts. You begin with a snowdropper. Would you care to explain the meaning of that word, good sir? A snowdropper is someone, a man, who steals women's underwear from clotheslines. And the particular case mentioned in the age that, because um, often I cut these things out knowing I'll use them one day and I just sat in my files for probably five or 10 years. Uh, this man ended up with several hundred pairs of women's underwear. It seems a harmless activity. People's lives aren't in danger, but it's icky. And then all of a sudden, it's a violation that could lead others to harm as well. This is where it becomes of concern, but also it it adds to this notion of the psychological because he's found some sort of consolation in it, but it can impact on the town. And then you have another character, Clara Ogilvie, where she has become obsessive about Paul Hershenhausen. She pursues a sort of romantic opportunity, but that's only taking place in her own head, another obsession. Uh, Yes, well, I have to confess that I had a stalker many years ago and I took a lot of notes at the time. I read up on it. What causes stalking? What different forms does it take? Because I was interested in it. Some of this information can inform a story. So when when I realised what this woman was like, I went back to those research notes on on the nature of stalking. There's a psychological impact on Paul because he dreads answering his phone in case it might be her. Hirsch, as a cop, he could have simply arrested her, thrown her in jail or, you know, charged her at least. But he's a decent man. He tries to do the right thing. He thinks that he can deal with it. He thinks he's a grown-up. He can handle it without resorting to... um, police tactics, but of course it doesn't work. 
He's also then got to consider the fact that he's in a small country town where the policing is slightly different. You've got to take into consideration other people's feelings. That's one of the big uh, sources of energy of the, of the, Hirsch, the three Hirsch novels, the fact that he's a constable. He's not a uh, homicide detective concentrating on one case. He's a, a young uniform cop where he has to be a law enforcer, but he also has to be a counsellor. He has to be a welfare officer. So there are all kinds of things he has to deal with every day. And in this particular one, there seems to be some Irish uh, con men going around the district offering to fix people's roofs. And so little, little things like that uh, must be part, of, part and parcel of a daily life for a cop. You also then punctuate this story with all sorts of other events so, for example, you've got two people that basically go bush. That's Leon yeah. yeah. Because there's been a, a ripple effect because of financial difficulties. And so there's a big manhunt that goes on. As you said, you've also got uh, the Irish conman. You've got religious obsession. You've got child abuse, you've got elder abuse, which has been become quite topical. So these events begin to escalate in intensity. And they're not always uh, disparate events either. Several of them um, are connected. It's because Hirsch is dealing with a lot of small town crimes and mysterious events. And then later in the novel, we realise how connected they all are. It fits into this notion then of obsession or uh, the consolation, you have Quinlan, the stock and station agent, who sort of become obsessed with money. And in terms of him trying to improve his financial situation, he's the one that's actually set Leon off in a way because Leon is owed money. But Leon's also got difficulties in his relationship. And then the events begin to escalate slowly and then almost get to a point where they're out of hand. Yes, I always like to end novels on a, on a high point of tension. Things have to escalate. You don't want a novel that ends very slowly over a long period of time. I, I spend many, many weeks planning, working out where best to place some of this information and how it, how it can start to coalesce and how the tension can start to build. Well, one of the really uh, delightful things about this novel. It almost finishes where it starts. I mean, Hirsch has, in fact, rescued a child. And it is that event that actually informs the ending of the story as well. So there's a nice symmetry to the story. I'd like to say that that's all carefully planned out, but sometimes it's just simply instinctive. Uh, when you just said then about the rescuing of a child, I suddenly thought, well, relationships between parents and children is a, is a theme going all through the book. And it hadn't occurred to me before. So thank you. I'll, I'll quote you from now on. <laughs> that initial child neglect case was almost because of a religious obsession. Yes, um, this kind of obsessive behaviour in small cults and often when you read these newspaper clippings, it's the fallout is ruined lives for the children. Some of them get the strength to leave or a spouse gets the strength to leave, but 
pretty much their lives are stuffed up as a result. Um, but again, it goes back to that notion of, of obsession. This notion of obsession, however, we can see in institutions that we actually accept. So, for example, Hirsch has a difficulty with his superiors from Adelaide. For example, one day, thought Hirsch, regional command will send us a CIB officer other than Komen. The Port Peary detective shouldered his way in, oversaw the prisoner transfer in his unsmiling way, then asked for an update in the briefing room, gesturing negligently. He refused tea and coffee. You're saying they didn't disclose anything about their roof repair scam? Correct, Hirsch said. Only their role in the fire, trying to get ahead of the murder charge. Not according to them, helping the police in their understanding way. Coman, squat as a bear on the other side of the table, said, who else can tie them to the scanning, given that our only good witness is dead? Hirsch glanced at the sergeant, a look that said, can you believe this guy? She didn't meet his gaze, but stared at Coman as if at something makeshift and unsatisfactory and said, Three of my officers can attest to the presence of these men, their van, and their equipment at an address here in town. In other words, there's a procedural obsession that Hirsch has to face within his own institution. Yes, I did think a lot about that, the sorts of pressures that might uh, that a character like this might face. He's already on the back foot because in the first Hirsch novel, Bitterwash Road, he's just been sent to the bush. He had been a, a trained detective, he's still young, but he belonged to a corrupt suburban CIB squad in Adelaide, out of, out of suburban Adelaide, where some of the other detectives were on the, on the take, where they influenced the outcome of court cases and all the rest of it. And so Hirsch wasn't jailed, but he was demoted to uniform and kicked out of the city to be a, a uniform cop in a little one officer police station in the bush. So... I was aware that not only does he have to learn, learn the landscape and learn the, the circumstances of whatever crime he might face now and learn how country towns work, he also has to look back over his shoulder at uh, the police hierarchy because they might have it in for him. And uh, he's quick to recognise where, where a cop is a bully, where he's been shouldered aside, where his abilities aren't recognised. So it's all part and parcel of who, the, who Hirsch is and the sorts of tensions he might face in his day-to-day -day life. And at one point, um, he sort of uh, is confronted by an accident. Well, an accident occurred later on after he'd advised someone to make sure his load was tied down and that there are repercussions because there's an accident later on with that load uh, and he's... Not necessarily implicated, but um, his name is raised. So he's constantly under a form of pressure. I know. he's He feels ashamed uh, about that because a piece of tin goes flying off this poorly secured load and hurts a little, little girl who's riding her bicycle in a nearby town. But Hirsch, at the same time, he's, he's having little panic attacks. He's not dealing very well with some of the cases not dealing very well with, with this stalker. So he's not thinking as clearly as he should. He's br brushed his hands of that old man with his poorly laden trailer when he should have been much more scrupulous and made sure that the load was tied down. It's because he was, just, he was distracted emotionally and uh, he made a mistake. And uh, 
his girlfriend in the novel starts to realise um, what's going on and, and she gets him to face up to what's, what's going on in his life. But it shows what country cops have to deal with, the balancing act they have, the psychological yeah. pressure that they are under. But, Gary, we're going to have to finish the interview there, I'm afraid. The uh, novel is Consolation, the third in the series of, the, uh, of Constable Paul Hershenhausen's adventures, so to speak, or challenges in rural, a rural country town. Murder is confronted, and there are several murders, by the way, but it's also then the psychological which fits into the title consolation, another word for which in some ways could be obsession. So, Gary, thank you very much for talking with me today. Uh, thank you, David. And may I just add that the book would make a very thoughtful Christmas present. Uh, yes, as would the uh, prequels to it, the other two, because I think people should uh, fill themselves in on the entire story. Oh, good on you, David. You, you just want 10%. Thanks, David. And now it's time for my author. There is corporate crime and underworld crime, but if you prefer the crime novels that real people closer to home may experience, then Sandy Wallace is the crime writer for you. Welcome back, Sandy. Oh, thanks so much for having me back, Jen. It's lovely to chat with you always. Your latest book, Black Cloud, is the fourth in the George Harvey and John Franklin series. The previous book, Into the Fog, had them connected with a quote, their kiss fired like smooth scotch. So what's their relationship now? Well, they're, they're a step ahead on that now. At the start of this book, they're, they're definitely a, a partnership in every sense. Um, but as all good relationships go, some more so than others, it's, it's not easy roads for them. It never has been. There's always been complications, one being city-based, one being country-based, one which is John Franklin being a single parent um, and, you know, both in, in careers that they're, that they're committed to. So it's not easy streets for them, but um, they're definitely a partnership in every sense at the start of this book at the very least. So the setting is in country Victoria, around Dalesford. When the sun shines, farmland here looks magnificent. And really, mm -hmm. does the township of Kawengurubura Really, Kawinjibora. <laughs> Kawinjibora. And yes, it does. It's real. It actually exists. It's a, it's a place that most people would just drive through between Balan and Dalesford. So it's on that when you, you turn off from the Western Freeway and you're driving towards uh, Dalesford there, you will pass it and many people will not realise it. Well, the sunshine doesn't exist there all the time, though. The winters, this is a quote, winters in Melbourne got cold, but winters here penetrated your bones. Now, we start with three different stories. Georgie is still driving her 1984 black alpha spider around the country roads. She is keen to follow her instincts on stories that had lost traction in the mainstream, another quote. Mm. So what is Georgie the journalist investigating? Yeah, Georgie is actually in a town called Gordon, which is actually quite nearby to Quinjibora and other places we've just mentioned. And she's following up on an accidental drowning in a dam which occurred the previous week. 
And she just feels that she senses there's something more to that story. And she, because she writes for a magazine, she's got that, that leeway to actually follow her nose on stories. And that's what takes her to that part of Victoria on that particular morning. We'll leave Georgie there. And now we're on the road with Detective John Franklin. And he's mm-hmm. with uh, Marty Howell. And now what are they investigating? Well, there's actually been a spate of uh, stock theft and other farm crimes in the area. And they are actually in a nearby town uh, about to attend on a, a, some sheep being stolen. And the third group has an underlying question. There's the breast cancer nurse, Denise Zachary. She's been asked to do a home check at Good Life Farm. Tell us a bit about the family who live at Good Life Farm. Yeah, well, there's this family that's actually known to John Franklin. Uh, he's He's been a long-term resident of Dalesford and he knows Belle Murray is the local kindergarten teacher. She's actually on maternity leave at the moment. So she's someone that's well known to the community and to Franklin and his, his friends. Uh, and then she's married to uh, Alec and he's less known, but also very well liked and they have two young sons. So it's just an what you would consider quite an ordinary young family on a farm, perhaps doing it a little bit tough as people tend to do, especially when they're in their younger years and as farmers. Uh, So, yeah, so we're not really sure at the start of the book why this welfare check has been requested by this breast cancer nurse. So, So yeah. A welfare check involves police. So who are the police who go along? Sam Tazzarino, who he's uh, quite new to the police force, and uh, she's been in the in my series for a couple of uh, books now, and uh, Grant Irvine, who's another senior constable at Dalesford Police. So, being the local police, they're they're the ones that have, have got the job to go out and visit this farm with the nurse. Now, John has John Franklin has a lot of connections with these two. He looks upon. Senior Constable Grant Irvine is a bit of a father figure. And uh, Irvie has mentored John, where John looks at Constable Sam Tesserino, and this is a quote, with her intelligence and empathy, he could see she would be a smart investigator and a great advocate for victims and their families. So John, in a way, wants to mentor her. So it's a, a lovely connection here. So Yeah, On page 14, we jump in, there is an incident and it's pictured on the cover of the book. This incident connects the three separate narrations. Sandy Wallace, what has happened? Oh, okay. Well, here's the reading. Sam tried to fix on a positive. Blurry, excruciating sight was better than none. It sort of helped. She made out the shape of a person in the haze. They were upright and in motion. She slither-crawled in that direction, soon exhausted by the effort of moving what was probably mere metres. A few feet from the nurse, her body took on fierce shaking. She hadn't been in the job long, but she'd already seen too many victims of accidents and violence, several with horrendous injuries. A few that were dead. Scenes like this, like that were always dreadful, but she wished she'd never witnessed this. It was difficult to imagine that the burning woman was lucky to be alive. Sam's hearing dulled as a woozy wash came over her. She recognised it was shock. She knew she couldn't give way to it. Denise needed her. She'd die without her help. She took a shuddering breath. Smoke scratched her throat and swelled her airways. Her lungs strained. 
When she coughed, her ears popped and noise burst back, more chaotic and louder than ever. It took immense effort, but her I'm here, Denise, sounded reasonably controlled. The other woman continued to shriek. Sam drew from deeper inside to use her cop voice. You need to stop, Denise. Drop and roll. No reaction, and the nurse's erratic movement was fanning the flames, feeding the fire. Denise, please listen. Sam struggled into a standing position, biting back her yelp at the sharp pain that shot up her leg. Listing to one side, she held up a hand, meaning it to be calm and authoritative. You know what to do from your training. Stop drop and roll. It was no good. She couldn't get the message across. Sam groped for ideas. Take Denise to the ground, roll out the flames. Impossible with a broken leg. What then? I don't know. Oh God, yes I do. She'd have to use what was left of her own jacket to douse the fire. It was going to hurt beyond anything she'd ever experienced before. No choice. Rip it off. Do it fast. With shaking hands, Sam yanked the material away from where it had fused to her waistline, tearing her flesh. Finally, it was off. Panting, she blinked off dizziness. Denise still appeared oblivious to her. Maybe it did more to calm herself than the nurse, but Sam talked through what she was doing. I'm going to wrap you in my jacket and pat out the flames, okay? Denise didn't answer, but she stilled and looked directly at Sam. Her eyes were filled with naked fear and underlying that, trust. Sam murmured as she worked, aware that she was going to hurt Denise by helping her. Her thoughts scattered when she took in the strips of skin, peeling off her own red raw hands. Oh God, oh God. Oh, it's just me shivered. Oh. <laughs> Look, it's confronting, but incredible writing of a burn Thank victim. You. And this all came from the explosion that happened inside Good Life right. Farm. Look, there was instant help from neighbouring farmers. There's Vlatka with, quote, an air of a farmer used to helping sick or injured livestock. And there were others that came on the scene. There was the arson and explosive squad. But you could tell John isn't impressed by giving them the nicknames Mr Important and Bean Man. Why wasn't he more accepting of them? I think that being this so very personal, this case, I mean, it's his patch as a detective anyway. He would have caught the case. But these are his close friends and his, until recently, his colleagues. He worked with them every day at the Dalesford Station until his recent secondment. So this is a very personal case to him and he wants to be right in front of everything, across every single detail, doing every notification and following up every lead. If he could do it all himself, he would, because it just means that much to him to get to find answers. You know, while lives are still hanging in the balance too in, in the hospital. So it's very, very important to him. And I think he, he just perhaps always has a little bit of an instant suspicion of outsiders and especially ones maybe from Melbourne that can they be as good as the ones that know what they're dealing with. Well, I know Georgie looked around at the crowd and this is uh, reading from your book. She saw the arson squatters lead, teaming with the state coroner and her staff, chemists, photographers, the general crime scene crew, the homicide squad, the professional fire investigators with the CFA. They're all there. Even the police helicopters would be there taking their, their overhead shots and, you know, taking in the scene from there, taking it from that other perspective. So, so many specialists 
and locals on on the job, you know, right down to the people just containing the cordon, which is awfully difficult when you have so many people on a scene, you know, between the investigators and the country fire authority, uh, the SES and the neighbours all trying to pitch in and help with this, you know, containment of this fire at the same time, preservation of a crime scene because they do not know what they're dealing with at, at that point either. And, of course, there's the media. <laughs> and, another you know, the media can be friend or foe, can't they? <laughs> well, this is another quote from Sandy Wallace's uh, Black Cloud. Just because they looked excited didn't mean they weren't as horrified as everyone else. The media played a role in serious crime. Some were good, ethically, intelligent, even made a difference to the result. And John knew that Georgie was part of that crowd. Was it accident, insurance fraud? Was it targeted with everything being watched by the perpetrator or murder-suicide? John says about emotions had to be turned off. The situation dealt with. It's what cops do. But you look at the strain, you know, how is the strain on John showing in the relationship with Georgie? Yes, well, you know, the culmination of trauma in the job, and it can be for some people just one traumatic incident or it can be the culmination of many, and in John's case it has been many, many events over his long career, you know, personal element to this case as well and it's certainly putting strain on him he as as we've already talked about he wants to be across everything which means he can't be there as much as he knows he should be for his teenage daughter and his partner Georgie so you know both of those are are probably really feeling the the brunt of how much he's investing into this case and how he will be at the end well time will tell. Mm. Georgie still needs a story because she, you know, she, that's her job. She gets paid right. as an investigating journalist. So she starts investigating something I've never really thought about, but I think Sandy Wallace knows a lot more about. What, what does she investigate? Well, she's definitely, she's actually very interested in a couple of elements that have fallen to, into her lap with this story is, you know, she's obviously still following through on Alan Hansen and his, and his uh, accidental death or otherwise. And that's led her into looking at the plights of farmers and how they do it so tough in so very many different ways and, and the outcome of you know, that constant pressure on them. And then there's, she's also coming across these, you know, this spate of stock thefts and other farm mm-hmm. crimes in their local area and, and feels that there's something more to that as well. And it's, it's really piqued her interest and she starts doing a lot of research into various elements of those those, those um farming sort of crimes, those um, real rural crimes. I mean, this this story very much comes back to the grassroots of uh, rural crime. It's, you know, communities, um, they're very vulnerable. Um, People are under pressure, environmental and man-made, and they they cut corners to get by, and there's always someone there to cash in on their hardships. So those, those elements are things that she's looking into, and she's really building up enough material for many stories, although ultimately she'd put every one of them aside just to find the truth about what happened at Good Life Farm. So how far would desperate farmers go to save or make money? Could stock theft lead to manslaughter or murder? Sandy Wallace's crime novel, Black Cloud, has police and journalists following a small crime which evolves into a tragedy. Thank you very much, Sandy.
Oh, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to chat with Jen. Well, Jen, that takes us out for another week. I look more books to read for next week, more authors to chat with. Despite the travails of uh, coronavirus and such like, we will do our best to keep bringing you more authors next week. See you then. Well, let's Bye. talk then. <laughs> <laughs> Listen in next week. Bye for now. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.